Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Welcome to the Legendarium. In this episode, three quarters of the Legendarium Brain Trust talk about The Hobbit as we prepare for the release of the final, defining chapter, The Hobbit. The Battle of the Five Armies. Ladies and gentlemen. Third time's a charm to get this going, right? Yeah, it may this this may be the third attempt for us to start this episode, but uh, yeah, the third attempt seems to be going swimmingly so far. Um, so welcome, Ryan and Todd. Oh ye of the uh, well, I have no insults for you today. We're, really? Yeah. Wow, um, I, I'm I'm not insulted <laughs> because because I think today is going to go a little bit differently. Uh, so we are uh, three quarters of a brain trust. We are three three quarters of a brain. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, we are sans Ken, which really Ken, if you're listening, Sounds that's like a great that's font. just fine by me. You know? Sans Ken, Sans, sans Ken, Ken. Nice. Sans Ken. That's a good that's a good typeface. Someone create a. We're going to create the legendary font Sans Ken. <laughs> it will involve no hard hitting things. <laughs> <laughs> now we miss Ken, of course, um, and he will be back with us uh, back with us soon because uh, we are uh, getting very excited about the Hobbit premiere coming up later this month. Partly because obviously it's a Tolkien related thing and we're excited about all things Tolkien, and also partly because, so help me, finally it's all going to be over. Um, and Peter Jackson has sworn that it? he will never make another Tolkien film. Didn't he do that in 2003? We're not counting that. Oh, I'm sorry. We're, that, That's that like was... when Michael Jordan retired the first time and went to baseball. Right. And Did then you... retired. So is. And then went to basketball. Is The Hobbit Peter Jackson doing baseball? I don't know. If so, it's, then that means he's coming back to play for the Washington Wizards later on. Or <laughs> that would be a sight to see. Although there was an article that Ian McKellen was saying, uh, he said, Peter Jackson said at the end of the last one that he was done, and we're, and look at us now, we're back here. So who's to say that we don't see more Middle Earth from Peter Jackson in the future in the form of the Silmarillion? Oh, okay, listen. Peter Jackson I need you doing both, the Silmarillion? I need you both to stop talking so I can finish our housekeeping. Oh, sorry you're, about oh, that. You're just the worst, both of you. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got to say it. Oh, I hate you both so much. <laughs> uh, all right, so t-shirt. not only are we excited about The Hobbit, but we are going to be live podcasting from the premiere of The Hobbit here locally. Uh, so this is not exactly L.A. or New York, but we will be in Farmington, Utah, uh, at the Station Park, what is it, a mall? Shopping center? It's an outdoor, it's a commercial center. An outdoor community center surrounded by a high-level shopping environment. That's true. Uh, it's a fancy way of saying you lose a lot of money there. That's true. Uh, so we will be there. There is a uh, Cinemark Theater at the Station Park in Farmington, and we will be there live podcasting. So if you are in the uh, Utah area, or uh, if you're in Sweden and you'd like to fly in uh, for our live podcast. The train runs right by our location. That's you can true. arrive at the Salt Lake International Airport and then take the train directly to us. And then go back to the airport because uh, that's all you came for anyway. We figured out the plan for our Swedish listenership. So, uh, yeah, we would love to see anybody there. Uh, Please if don't you be offended are... by the fish that we call your by your country. Oh, 
<laughs> be silent, you. Um, if you are planning on doing a, a, a midnight showing or a you know a whatever late Tuesday on the sixteenth of December, that's in about a week and a half. If you're planning a late night show, uh, screw Salt Lake and Ogden and all these other places. Go to Farmington. Uh, come see us. We need some friendly faces, and we're going to be uh, you know I'm sure we'll be playing games. We're going to be inviting audience member you know passing passing uh, folks to come in on, onto the podcast and share their two cents. I'm planning to have a lot of fun with it. So, Find out what we really look like. Uh, There's well, a reason we have, vo- we have faces for radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, anyway, Tuesday the 16th, I believe we will be there ready to record uh, right around 8 o'clock. Um, so we'll be there for a few hours doing that. Uh, show up and bring me some sort of chocolatey candy bar. I really like symphony bars lately. I'm on we'll be happy to sign autographs, unlike Comic-Con or Fanex. We won't charge you, you know, to, to de- get our autographs. Not that much, anyway. In fact, you can come and take pictures with us. You can even do selfies, and we will not send somebody to confiscate your phone. <laughs> Did that happen? It may have happened briefly with Kevin Sorbo. Nice. We don't talk about it much. Okay. Uh, so, I guess let, let's chat a little bit, because, well... We're gonna, we're gonna chat about the Hobbit, the upcoming Hobbit movie, and I want to let everybody know how ashamed I am of what's gonna happen on the last half of this podcast. Ashamed? You shouldn't be ashamed. Be proud of where we came from. <laughs> right. You should and be I, looking back with perspective, saying, "See how we've grown." If you've made, or it, that we haven't progressed. If you <laughs> if you've made it, if you've made it uh, this far into the podcast, five minutes in, then you're gonna stick with us for the whole thing. I bet. Uh, and so you are going to get to hear one of, if not the very first thing Ryan and I ever recorded together. This was uh, last year, just after the second Hobbit movie was released. Um, we were, honestly, we were just kind of testing our equipment, uh, which sounds filthy dirty. Uh, but no, we really were just po- podcasting, testing our podcasting equipment, and uh, recording a review of the Hobbit movie from last year. And so the thought occurred to me, hey, let's dig that up, and this is a good time to release that. This was before the Legendarium even existed. Uh, we were, our, our working title was the Stick Wars Podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that went away pretty quickly. Yeah. We, we turned to the legendarium and, and focus, uh, we focused our attention. We had a little media branding moment together after that, but the stick wars again, filthy, (laughs) just filthy. Uh, knowing the history of the two of you, I can understand why stick wars was so prevalent in what you were thinking about. Yeah. We used to just beat the tar out of each other with whatever we had at hand. (laughs) Pretty really? much. Broomsticks. Sticks. Sticks. Yeah. Axe handles. <laughs> we was, eventually did order bad. weapons off of it the internet. Um, so, And what normal red-blooded American hasn't had a broom <laughs> handle in his hand and chased his friends around the neighborhood? None. Uh, all right. So that's what we're going to be doing a little bit later. But I do want to chat with you guys a little bit about what you feel like we can expect for this installment of The Hobbit. What's this one called? Mm. The Battle of the Five Armies? Um, fight, fight, but no more running. Fight, fight, and no more running. That's my that's my synopsis of what the show is going to be. <laughs> if Ken were here, he would say a whole lot of punching. I'm lot sure. Of punching, indeed. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, we know we can expect that. You know, one thing I'm I'm I am awaiting with some trepidation 
Hey, there's a good word for you, Todd. Nice. Uh, the relationship of Tauriel and who is it, Feely or Keely? Anyway, I think it's Feely. Uh, I don't even know. It's it, one it's, of one is of it those me or two. is that a bit? That's a bit weird. That's a bit of a. I, I understand he that uh, that you know, what's his name PJ wanted to kind of flesh out the Hobbit and add in a few things from the appendices and the Silmarillion and blah blah blah. This feels a little forced to me. A little forced? A little bit. Uh, a little contrived? A little contrived. A little, hey, we didn't have anything in the first film to appease any of those viewers who might be interested in romance. <laughs> so let's throw something in that didn't really exist at all in the movie right. or in the books. But hey, this is movies. This is different. Yeah. My only argument to that is, weren't, wasn't the entire Hobbit filmed at once? Yes. So the the plan from the beginning... Oh, yes. No, this... Ha- yeah, it has nothing to do with what was in the first film. Right. So they're not trying to... Unless they looked back and went, wow, well, that's the first three hours we got. We got barely... Because they, they'd yeah. announced Tauriel before, you know, any of the movies were even close to being released. Yeah. So... I personally, I... Which made me incensed until I knew it was Evangeline Lilly. Because, <laughs> you know. See, I don't, I don't have a problem with this. Uh, mainly because I don't hold as tight to the source material as I think a lot of people do. By a lot of people... We mean Craig. Craig. (laughs) We mean Craig. (laughs) Let's get real. Definitely Craig. To me, within a certain degree, this is is always my my feelings when it comes to adaptations uh, from book to film. Um, They're different mediums, and as long as you, to a certain extent, respect... The story that is told, then any additional license you take within the medium to make things work fits. Now the problem is this: whether or not it actually is. Well, I think there's a difference to the story. There's, or there's not. a difference between artistic license and monetary license. You know, I feel like a lot. the The decision to make three movies had nothing to do with art. It had everything to do with milking this franchise. I don't believe for a second that you couldn't have told a cohesive Hobbit story in PJ style. You know, I don't think you're calling him PJ movies. now. Why not? I, oh, I you I like? Love, oh, you, I love uh, that. Okay. I just I now I envision him with everything embroidered. Like every, if I if I call him Peter Jackson, that's just way too formal for how you know I feel like our relationship has developed over the years. So. I, I'm I'm sure he calls you Mr. Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, for for me and Ryan, you use a term that I really uh, that I appreciate, and and that term was respect the source material. Um, I there there are some environments where I feel um, very much that I want my movies to be true to the source material, but when you use that term respect, um, I, I can appreciate then um, some of the artistic license that we see in a lot of adaptations. There are a lot of films that come out, and I say, wow, they missed a lot of what I was hoping to see because of the way that they had to film. The, and, and I understand what the limitations are. I understand limitations of budget. I understand limitations of scope. I understand limitations of time. Um, and, and I appreciate your, your insertion of that, of that perspective. Because I think for, for a lot of us, we struggle with favorite pieces of literature that we perceive adapted poorly because a production team has decided that they can't do everything, so they will only do these particular pieces, whatever those choices might be. There's a, a great example of this 
difference i think comes in the harry potter series yeah yeah uh, the, that's a great so place if you where watch happens. if you watch the first two harry potter movies um directed by christopher columbus which is amazing by the way that his name is chris columbus uh they are true as todd might say to the source material almost word for word they're very true to that yeah. source material and uh, and great movies i i still can't watch um gryffindor win the house cup in the first movie without weeping uh, love those movies but then you get to the third movie, and the book was a little bit longer, a, a little more complex, and there was stuff that they couldn't quite get into a film and make it cohesive, and so they weren't true to exactly how the book was written. Again, you know, pretty close, but not true, but they respected that source material. It had it had largely the same feeling that you get when you read the book as when you watch the film, and it's this is where... I would argue that not only did Peter Jackson not stay true to The Hobbit, which, you know, I'm fine with. You don't have to be exact in your adaptation. But he didn't even, I I think, respect the material enough. Uh, The feeling that that The Hobbit movies evoke is is utterly different from the feeling you get from... Uh, From the the, the the books. Or the books, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So it's like the, the movies are... Uh, are a sequel to the Lord of the Rings rather than you know an adaptation of uh, this this other book that was written. You know, what it's always been interesting to me the way that um, it, depending on where you enter this uh, this this story this process, um, if you if you enter the world of Middle Earth um, at the Lord of the Rings, then when you read The Hobbit, you come to it from a very different set of perspectives. Um, when I entered the world of Middle Earth, I entered it with The Hobbit first, mm-hmm. and so my 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 view, my scope, my expectations were set by a a, a much simpler tale. Um, so that by the time we get into the Lord of the Rings, and this tale that I thought was very simple is being unraveled to become much more grand, much larger in its scope and its impact. Um, I was, I was very, I, I was, it was breathtaking. Um, and I kind of feel that that's what Peter Jackson is trying to do. He made this world so breathtaking that now everything about Middle Earth has to always be breathtaking mm-hmm. because if it was breathtaking in the beginning, it has to stay that way. Yeah. And I really was kind of hoping for a simpler tale. Something a little more jovial. Well, that's I find that very interesting, and I actually think we talked about this in the review that we did that we're going to look we'll beyond this. I have no recollection of this. I'm actually terrified to put this on the air. By the way, I just want to let you know. But we talk about the fact that the Hobbit is a children's story. Yeah, the Lord of the Rings is a more adult tale. Um, but the films, a lot more, you know, nudity and violence and yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, at least violence. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> But the idea of going from creating the Lord of the Rings trilogy films that we had that were action and, and you know, they had that, the more, the, the mature, thing. I, I'm trying to do it without turning it into some porno thing for you, Craig, because you, you ruined <laughs> oh, this now. You underestimate my <laughs> skill, my friend. But you have that. To do The Hobbit as a children's story now really I don't think fits the series as a whole to try and put those together. If you treat them as entirely separate entities, 
which you might have been this, able to do with like a Guillermo del Toro. This is why like I was, yeah, exactly. I was so excited when I heard that Guillermo del Toro was going to be directing. I, I almost didn't care who did it. I just didn't want it to be Peter Jackson. And I say that as somebody who loves the Lord of the Rings films. I love them. I don't, I don't think that, you know, every decision is the one that I would have made. I have my gripes with it, whatever. That's separate from the fact that I love them. And I did not want him to do it just because of exactly what you said. These are, it's it's the same movie three more times. Being, you know? But the fact is that being that it is connected, being that we got Peter Jackson, mm-hmm. being that it is connected, The Hobbit had to be brought. Uh, I feel like he, one of the first things he had to do was bring it up to be to be a little bit less of the children's tale that it is in the books. And I believe it should be like uh, as the books. Um, but in order to fit along that there, you had to bring it up. And that, I, I think he tried to reach too far. He tried to pull it up and say, okay, we're going to bring this to the action level of these, but maintain the fun children's story. And we're going to do that by doing lesser with CG. And we're going to put in these really terrible scenes with Bomber rolling around a barrel, taking everyone out. Like, <laughs> or I, Radagast showing up every time we turn around, getting yep. something out of his hat and his head. Yeah, it's yep. it's one of the things I feel like he stretched too far trying to please both like uh, the people who feel that it's a children's story. We're going to leave things in here to make it like that. Yeah, and it made a very uneven movie, it, very uneven indeed. It does, but the the one the other thing about that, I, I was writing down notes because I was furiously thinking of <laughs> I was furiously thinking thoughts. Um, this is one of the few it's quite taxing f- as opposed to thinking furious thoughts, yeah. which he was doing earlier tonight. Yes. Um, but there, this is one of the few films, and you already touched on this a little bit with when you were talking about Harry Potter. This is one of the few times where we are not act, actively subtracting parts of the story. I feel like Peter Jackson Say that tells... Say actively subtracting, subtracting parts. Okay, got it. Yeah. I feel like Peter Jackson is telling the entire story of The Hobbit. We've got it all in there. <laughs> and then some... There is... Well, that's the, that's the thing, is we're actually... Is he's adding in all these things to... And, you know, you say monetary purposes to stretch it out or whatever. That's fine. But the fact is, is a lot of the issues that people have had with the Hobbit series thus far, and I think if they do this movie right, will justify most of it, is the fact that we're adding pieces that aren't in the book, that we're adding all these pieces there, the Tario, the things there. And this is one of the few times you're going to see that in a movie based on a book. And I think that when we see the end of this film, when you get to the end of the, the Battle of the Five Armies, if he has done a good job of justifying the existence of Radagast, justifying Tario as to why they're important to this, to what's been going on through this. Mm-hmm. You'll look back at the Hobbit series and go, you know what? It's not the book, but it's a good series. That's okay. I'm glad you said this because I have obviously many, many gripes with these first two Hobbit films and, you know, proactively with the third one as well. Uh, that being said, yeah, I have a lot of fun at them. I, I I went and saw the first two opening night and thoroughly enjoyed myself enough to go back and see them again in theaters. Uh, yeah, I like them. Uh, I just I have a lot of issues with them that that uh, could have been avoided. I feel it's. I think it's hard. I think it's very hard for a lot of us to separate it, to go ahead and let that go because I I do the same thing like. It, I mean, if you were to, if you really mess up the Star Wars universe to me, I mean, I, <laughs> that's unforgivable. You know, you're, I'm, yeah, major problems there. So to take, uh, I think that this series, if you can separate yourself just enough to say, to treat this as a film series, 
uh, the the story in the book gets told and we're getting a lot more than mm-hmm. we planned, you you'll walk away going having a better experience than simply saying this is not the book. And and if that's if that's the measure that we're going to use, we've probably got um, we've probably got the license then to approach a lot of other series that have been adapted. Um, we've got the opportunity to approach things from a from a different set of perspectives. Um, I'm thinking largely of uh, the experience that I just had with Maze Runner recently with my children who were appalled at, at the changes at the adjustments mm-hmm. that were made. Um, and and it's it's going to be an interesting opportunity to have that conversation with them, uh, albeit on a on a slightly different level. Um, where we start talking about when when are we going to be when do we have to have something be true and when do we have to have something be respectful to original source material? I think that also um, plays in very strongly into some other things. Uh, it could play in very strongly to uh, adaptations of books to plays to uh, to other artistic media. Um, it, it's that was Craig, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, just well, trying I, to distract me from my thought. That's um, true. I have so few of them. Let me finish. Um, I, I'm, I'm really. I, I, I think that that's something that we could. Uh, and and as we explore, um, uh, as we start to explore science fiction, um, in the in the coming months, I think we're going to address that again because most of the good science fiction books that we've that we've been looking at have at some point in time been adapted to film, either well or poorly. They've been adapted to film. And so we have to think about that. Well, let's think about that more. <laughs> Todd, you said there were a few scenes that that with this film adaptation, you feel very good about, mm-hmm. right? And, and you, uh, this is great because um, I have many that I could talk about where I think, oh, Peter Jackson, I could slap you in your little hobbit feet, you know? Um it, but there are things that you say, okay, he did a great job with this scene or that scene. Go. I want you to tell me what one of those is. The spiders in The Hobbit. And they're the, 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 the scene where, or the, the series of scenes where uh, all of them are wrapped up in silk and Bilbo is the only one who gets to have his wits about him and gets out of this predicament. Mm-hmm. I... My my children will tell you that I had my eyes closed through most of this. I I really am weirded out by spiders, um, and now people are going to start throwing spiders at my house. Um, I I that would be weird. I don't I I don't I don't appreciate anything that has more appendages than I do. <laughs> um, and and when I read that section in the book originally, I thought, oh, this is really really creepy. When I saw it originally done in the cartoon version. It was not so creepy. Um, it was it was cartoony. It was very much a children's story. When I saw it in Peter Jackson's, uh, f- when I saw it in the film, I was it was, it was creepy, terrifying. It it really was, and it carried with it a a sense of this. Really, he did a wonderful job of taking something that was not a really long section in the book, um, but made it very intense and very frightening and very real uh where before it was felt kind of glossed over and one of those Mm -hmm. things where you would say well you know uh, spooky let's get through this quickly no 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 let's make this and we had some we had some um foreshadowing in the first film 
at at Radagast's uh, Radagast's location uh, in Mirkwood when he was seeing the uh, the spiders start creeping around. So it was a it, it was really interesting to see him pull that together and make that work in such a way that I was really uncomfortable, but I was really impressed. All right. So allow me to retort. Go for it. Okay. Well, before I do, let me just say we were going to air the like I mentioned the um, last year's Stick Wars podcast. I think we're you know we're having enough of a discussion now. I want to keep going with it. So we will package that in a separate episode. Don't worry, you will get that. We're just going to air it separately, That, which is great because then you can completely skip it um, and make me feel a little bit better about myself. Uh, Everybody's going to listen to it now. It's going to be one of our highest rated podcasts <laughs> now. It's, uh, Merry uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, everybody. We're giving you the, <laughs> the original archived episode. All right, so allow me to retort, Todd. Uh, yes, so I like what you say. He takes something that that um, a- a- expands on something that, that was creepy in the book and, and is made deliciously creepy in the movie, right? Now, take something like uh, the barrel riding scene. The barrel riding scene was... Which, re- in, the, in the book, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, people, uh, you're welcome to correct the Tolkien guy, but they escape... It, they they get packaged into these barrels by Bilbo. He rolls them out into the river, and then they float down the river. Correct. And then they they pop out wet and cold uh, down, you know, near the Long Lake. So that turns into 20 minutes of footage. A Daffy Duck Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah, and, okay, so it, it just seems, it, it seemed really bizarre. If you want to up the tension, I guess I can get that. You know, if you want to have the elves kind of chasing them down, shaking their fists or whatever, uh, yeah, that's fine. But 20 minutes of footage. Especially it, 20 minutes of footage in a battle with characters that I really struggled to remember where they were, where they showed up in the in the Hobbit originally. <laughs> exactly. I, I think this, 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 this is where we get to true versus respectful. Is, oh, you know what that reminds me of is the, uh, the, excellent um george lucas remake of the uh, star wars trailer that just came out so we just got the 80, 88 second trailer and then the uh, the millennium falcon flies over the dunes and two uh tie fighters fly by well in the remake now it's 50 like 15, tie fighters. yeah and uh, you know so that's what this reminds me of it's it's yeah you get that scene the the dwarves hop in the barrels and they float down the river end of story well around them is all this crazy stuff happening in the george lucas remix of the hobbit right so i i I have a reasoning for that scene being partially the way it is okay that makes to me in my in my mind it makes sense cinematically but not necessarily for story purposes Mm -hmm. in the first hobbit film one of the things you can have the hobbits escape in, in this one through the barrels uh, be- you mean the dwarves? Sorry, the the dwarves. Yes, the dwarves. One hobbit, many dwarves. I knew what you meant. They can you escape. Me, buddy. They can escape the barrel in the barrels and just go because there's nobody chasing them at that point in this story. Really, to be entirely honest, there's in the first story though we have instigated a consistent villain that is chasing them from the beginning to the end of this story with the white orc and um, oh, you know what? Az- Some of our Azog things like that. So here's the thing. Our, our discussion from a year ago is coming back to me a little bit. Yeah. But it's the idea of this this overarching villain needs to be, 
it needs to be pushing them from behind okay. towards their thing there. So you have to have so they're escaping here. They have to be prevalent, and so now you've introduced some some elves to kind of help fight it off. So cinematically, that's why that scene. That's why you have that scene, and not just a yeah. a very fun waterfall um, roller coaster ride. So yes, uh, yes, I love what you say. I think you are absolutely correct in maybe what they're maybe. I think you're absolutely in maybe purpose, correct, but what, not in story. <laughs> with what they were thinking, um, and that thus in, we introduce one of my main overarching problems with the movie, and that's the change isn't just in the details; it's in the very fabric of the story being told. The in the Hobbit, they're not being pushed through the story. You know, the Nazgul were pushing Frodo and Sam out of the Shire in The Lord of the Rings. You know, they're being pushed Mm -hmm. continually down this certain path. In The Hobbit, it's all about being pulled toward that mountain. It's it's It's, time. that uh, Borrowing, I mean, heaven forbid, all of the puns that are going to come from that as far as the, the riddle scene. But it's time that drove that story. They had to be at a certain place at a certain time because it was only going to happen once. And that was why there was so much urgency. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Not because they were being chased. Not because they were in, th- in threat of their lives of, of, of death. Because they wanted to realize their... And, and that's what made The Hobbit, I think, such a wonderful children's story. Is that time chases us to a certain point where we have to, be, we have to arrive at a point in time having become something... And ready to take on something. It's very much the the Hobbit very much is a coming of age story on many levels. Um, although it's not necessarily about Bilbo coming of age, but it is about what happens when you come of age. You arrive at a point in time, either oh, prepared so jokes. So or unprepared for the things you have to do at that moment. And that was what drove that entire story when it was being written by Tolkien. Not so much when Peter Jackson takes over. Yeah. You got to have somebody ready to kill you. Yeah. Uh, so that's my issue. Todd, uh, second scene that you really like. You said you had a few, right? I did have a few. Um, the second scene I really liked was the troll scene uh, from the first oh, film. Oh, really? Okay. I really liked it because it showed... Uh, it, when 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 I read through that, it talked about the fact that Bilbo did all these things, keeping them busy all night long. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how busy could they stay all night long? <laughs> but uh, Peter Jackson did a wonderful job of visually telling this tale of Bilbo keeping everything just on its edge and getting just enough chaos going. Then the dwarves get some chaos going. Then Bilbo gets some more chaos going. I mean, it was it was again, it was very cartoony. It was almost a Daffy Duck moment. But it made sense. So glad they kept the Cockney accents. <laughs> uh, well, you need to if they're going to be trolls, right? Well, yeah, and if their names are Bill, Tom, and Bert, right? <laughs> is it weird that I just rattle off those three names? No, not at all. Not to any of us who know you. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't even know that I knew them until that moment. Um, okay, I don't really have anything to say on that scene. Uh, yeah, take it or leave it. Yeah, it was, it was a good one. Uh, yeah, just refresh my memory really quick, though. That scene ends with Gandalf pulling a Moses and cracking the stone in the, in the, <laughs> that was awesome. in the cinematic thing. That's not how that is in the book though, right? Uh, it's, I actually just, believe it is. Is it? I couldn't remember this. Oh no, I don't know up. if he cracks the stone. No, I think he just, 
Oh no! Now I got to pull out my copy of The Hobbit. I'd have I'm to go back confused. and look at it. I remember that it was because of Dawn. Doggone it, Peter! Jackson. I do remember the the sun I, the sun there, but I didn't remember if Gandalf had anything to do mm. with it. It's uh, and it's not it's not a make or break moment for me. Stephanie's becoming our Ste- fact checker, Stephanie going chapter, through and checking. Uh, chapter three or two. Anyway, <laughs> surprised you can't throw out like a page number. If it were the Lord <laughs> of the Rings, I'd, I'd probably or you'd expect page numbers. Yeah. Fourth paragraph, seventh word. Um, all right, Todd. So while Stephanie, um, our uh, lovely intern, uh, or whatever we're calling her, <laughs> is looking that up, what's your third scene? My third scene is one that, um, for me, this is one of those moments where it's an addition, not a an exposition of what oh, was okay. in the previous in, in the source material. Um, it's the exploration of Lake Town. Um, I like what Peter Jackson did to make Lake Town real. Um, I, I like the politics that are involved. Um, I don't think it needed as much time as it took. Um, I, I don't think, it, and of course, I think we've got another half of a movie that we're going to spend on the politics of Lake Town. Um, I think it's just going to burn. <laughs> but, but I, but I really liked um, seeing what this environment was supposed to look like. In the book, we get a, a very brief description. Um, town on the side of the lake, half of it in, half of it off. It's built on pillars, blah, 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 blah. And then they leave after they've been nursed back to health and they go and they chase their destiny. uh, No, I I would disagree that it's that brief. I think we do get a a decent glimpse of Lake Town and its politics because I think Tolkien consciously or or unconsciously was trying to make a point about uh, the ancientness of this dragon living under the mountain versus the modernity of this town run by uh what are the, i don't even know the mayor of lake town and and the way that they organize the way that they um that they fight their battle versus this ancient dragon out of you know what we would think of as the middle ages or something uh really great stuff and you know definitely not enough to to justify an hour of um, of footage just of about footage. that one piece yeah but uh but yeah i like that i liked it too Stephen fry he can do anything and i will love it <laughs> anything agreed yeah that man is magic i didn't like lake town it's no? dirty and dingy and gross and i thought it was boring uh, yeah I, I i will admit i was visually i didn't i was like really it. happy to be out of lake town so mm-hmm. yeah but i like bard i do like bard Bard is good. Bard is very Aragorn in this in this movie. In as he sh- as he should be. Yeah, you think so? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, any luck, Stephanie? I found the chapter. Okay, we're still working on it. Oh, well. Uh, what is it? Chapter four? No, it's two. Two. Oh, I said three or two. Even earlier. Come on. Anyway, uh, let's. Let's go ahead then. Should we um, get ready to wrap this up and and move on to next week when we're going to be getting ready for the Hobbit? Be, before I'm, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of discussions yeah. that that day, um, similar to the to what we've talked about now. But I don't think we can wrap up a Hobbit discussion the without touching on the smog of the book and the smog of the cinema because okay. when it comes to dragons, I, I love dragons with a passion. Um, they're in terms of fantasy creatures, one of my absolute favorites, and I am very pleased with the dragon of this Hobbit story. Um, in in attitude, in artistic rendering, uh, what do you mean? In 
excuse me. Uh, visually, when I think of a dragon, he fits what I think of oh, quite well. Yeah, he doesn't just fit. Like, he he, he is the mold, right? Uh, that's, to, to me, that very much is what a dragon appears like. There, I mean, there's lots of different variations. You of, mean it's not Eddie Murphy going, dragon! <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that tongue thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, also in the... With the portrayal of Smog, um, it really opens up that there is more... Most of the time you just think of dragons as these kind of mindless, pillaging, burning beasts. Sure. Trogdor the Burninator. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow, I haven't had that heard that reference in a long time. <laughs> yeah. But we actually get a chance to see an intelligent foe for these people to overcome when they've, for the most part, dealt with orcs at mm. this point. And for Bilbo to have to face not only a physical superior, but someone who is quite, very, quite frankly, an intellectual superior, possibly as well, um, and ju- just just the way that he's dealt with is just amazing. If if you, the two of you, and anybody listening to this wants to see some really interesting discussion on Smaug, um, who isn't in the book all that much no. he doesn't have that many lines he doesn't have that many pages but that presence is is amazing not just in the movie but in the book his presence is huge um go read tom shippey's author of the century it's called J.R.R. tolkien author of the century mm. he goes through he does a chapter on the hobbit he does a few chapters on the lord of the rings he does a chapter on the silmarillion and his discussion of smog is 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 wonderful he talks about the language that smog uses and how he shifts between um you know a modern dialect to a a very medieval mode of speaking you know when he says my what does he say my teeth are like swords my my scales are like shields and very um tolkien was very adept at switching between modes of language and the and and the way that he uses that manipulates that language to create the perfect dragon like you said is mm-hmm. uh is breathtaking in its skill it is so i go pick up author of the century and even if you only only read one thing read the chapter on the hobbit uh just go sit in a barnes and noble you can find it there it's it's really worth your time you know one of the other things that i uh, taking uh, taking up on what you said um about Smaug being a, a presence. Um, as, a, as a performer, I, I like watching good performers do good work. And Benedict Cumberbatch, um, and heaven forbid we get into a thing about Benedict Cumberbatch. And, we can um, do that because Ken's, Ken's not here. Yeah, Ken's not, since Ken's not here. Um, Ken and, loves Benny. And uh, uh, Martin... Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. The fact that the two of them are together... Again. In this, as well as in Sherlock, as well as in, it seems like every time we see him there together. Um, but uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, how he got into, how he how he was approached with the role, and how he decided to do the role, um, he's a very interesting performer. He took a very interesting approach to it, and it and it impacted the the cinematic presence of Smaug as well really uh there was a there was a video um I, you, it sounds like you looks like you've seen it Brian. it's on the right. it's actually i think it's on the dvd extras now um that you can actually watch footage of him 
doing a stop mo or not a stop motion a motion, motion capture. capture performance of smog because he did not want across the, the floor yeah he yes. did not want it to be he didn't want it to just be someone like a you know just a, a generic person there or a generic uh, wireframe model he wanted to be there and he wanted to have the movements uh, because it, it affected his speech and it affected the, his uh, way he approached things and it really does give you a very impressive performance um by a, as an actor playing a not just doing you know not just being a voice but actually being a character being the dragon there it's it's just impressive i don't know if this name will go down uh, in you know as a household name for many generations but i think in the film industry it will be as far as motion capture and cgi all hail Andy Circus for a long, for a long very time. long time. I think this. I I don't because actually know. A lot of cues were taken from that guy. Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if he's actually. Maybe you'll know offhand if he has won an Oscar yet for his work. No, because actually this is one of his gripes: is that um, the the Academy will not consider CGI performances uh, for any sort of award. I know that actually this year he is being considered for an Oscar for his work as Caesar in the Planet of the Apes series. And it's because they changed the way that they do the motion capture on that process. Mm -hmm. It's because he his his performances this time were different uh, because of the apparatus that they used yeah. and because of the way that they included him in all of those that he was in all of those scenes. Um, which uh, a powerful film in and of itself. Yeah. Um, anything else you guys want to say? Uh, we do have an answer, I, I guess. Oh, we do? Stephanie? So Gandalf shows up before Dawn and pretends, does the voices of each of the trolls and gets them to right. off right. roasting the dwarves until basically Dawn shows up and they just... Okay, so it just... He, there is no magic moment of staff with the sun behind him. There's no okay, Moses so moment, the, but the he is there. just him talking until... The sun comes over the, the ridge. Sun, the dawn appears, and they are all stone mid-sentence. Got it. Okay. Well, uh, thanks again, Peter Jackson, for screwing up my perfect memory <laughs> of The Hobbit. <laughs> Being stoned mid-sentence. <laughs> Sounds like something we've been accused of. <laughs> um... I whenever I think of somebody turning to stone mid sentence, it's always uh, Bette Midler <laughs> from Hocus Pocus. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So you remember when I said let's wrap this up, and I uh, and also do you remember when I blamed Peter Jackson for turning three minutes of material into twenty minutes of footage? Well, I knew we wanted to talk about Smog, but that turned into quite a bit more tape than uh, we anticipated. But I, a parting shot on Smog, how amazing is it to somebody like myself who, you know, mistakenly or not, cares about such things, that the whole world now says Smog instead of Smog? That's, that's very gratifying. So they, on, that, uh, on that note, thank you, Peter Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> So, thank you for correcting the English of for at least part of the world. It's, well, it's not English. That's the thing, isn't it? Anyway, it, it's Tolkienese. <laughs> is that how that's is that how that's pronounced? Tolkienese. Tolkienese. Wow. All right, you jerks. <laughs> let's uh, let's go. I've got a donut to eat, so I'm done with you guys. Um, 
Ryan and I will air our previous discussion for and that'll be coming up in a few days watch for it later this week or i, I have to be honest i can't wait to listen to it i, I heard a couple of snippets <laughs> earlier i cannot it's, it's gonna wait be, if if not fun at least mortifying it, uh, we changed roles back then yeah, I, that's I, true. I i was hosting at the time and it was, yeah. um yeah. so that'll be a lot of fun and uh, and then that will immediately precede our live podcast tuesday December 16th at the Farmington Station Park Cinemark. Uh, that rhymes. And we will be there rhyming the whole night. At wow, least I'm planning to. Well, you might get hit a few times through the night. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we will see but you all no there. no matter what, it will feel right. Oh, wow. Uh, we will see you all there. And please Jake. enjoy The Hobbit as much as you feel Peter Jackson will let you. And uh, we will do the same, and we will catch you on the other side of The Hobbit. Rub my Hobbit feet. I hate you so much. That's disgusting. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com.